Welcome, Blues, to episode 8 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now also on Acast, Stitcher, and Google Play. We have our own blog site at boltfromtheblue.live, so feel free to check that out. Well, Blues, once again. As champions and still unbeaten, our glass is still half full, but there is a little bit of a bitter taste to it this time, and to drink it with us, as usual is none other than City fan legend Walter Smith. Walter, where in the world are you this time? Down in Devon just at the moment. I uh, was watching the game yesterday. It, was, ah, it wasn't the result we were looking for, but ah, same points as uh, after three games as last season. Walter, uh, this week we were celebrating 10 years of Vincent Company at Manchester City. Were you a little bit confused or perturbed, as some City fans on Twitter were, that the promising partnership of Stones and Laporte was broken up for this game? I think it goes back to, I think perhaps looking at the bigger picture in terms of Stones and company. Let's get this right. They, they were there to the death, you know, in the World Cup. So get the rest time in, get the, um, you know, alternate it slightly. Because I think we'll see the benefits of that later on in the season when you're seeing players, other Belgian, other English players, dead on the feet. I think uh, Stones and uh, company will be all right. Well, Walter, before this game, there were three Shakespearean omens for me that didn't make me feel good. First of all, it was a 12.30 kickoff. I always hate those. Second of all, it was being refereed by Martin Atkinson. I don't like that guy. And third of all, Pep wasn't making good noises before the game. He sounded worried. He talked about players being tired on account of having no real preseason, And in particular, that Fernandinho was uh, stiff and sore after the Huddersfield game. I mean, he was not being very positive at all. I half expected him to come out with a quote about Duncan's horses eating themselves like, like in Macbeth, but... What do you think about 12.30 kickoffs against newly promoted teams? Pep said that he prefers to play those kinds of teams in November and December. Not exactly sure why, but what do you think about that? I mean, I get that completely. Uh, Wolves haven't lost at home for God knows how long. They've got a fantastic home record. The psychology of winning and the psychology of doing well at home, that hasn't been quite battered yet in the Premier League, if you know what I mean. So... They're still running, in certain respects, on uh, championship adrenaline. And to play them as the third game of the season, no, I can understand where Pep's coming from. You want them to be battered and bruised and then take them apart in November. I was watching the game, you were talking about the 12.30 kickoffs. I haven't got the statistics to hand, but if you're ever going to throw up an odd result, it's from them early morning kickoffs. Why? I haven't got a clue. But it just seems to happen that the early morning kickoffs do throw a wobbler in their system. Especially if you're a gambling man, I can assume you're not going to bet on the 12.30 game. That's right, and Liverpool have got to face this next week because they've got the early kickoff against Leicester. Should be a tricky game for them. Now, we were up against Wolverhampton Wanderers, or as I like to call them, the Jorge Mendes All-Stars. As you know, Wolves have been bought by Chinese billionaires and basically have handed over their transfer policy to 
the great Portuguese mentor of Mourinho. They've got about nine, I think, Portuguese players in. That led to a lot of complaints from other championship sides last season. Managed, of course, by Nuno Espirito Santo, which sounds like some part of the Catholic liturgy. But he has got a fantastic beard. And he set up a fantastic system against City, didn't he? Because he crowded the midfield. And for the first time, Mendy, and particularly Walker, were not able to do their damage up those flanks. Is that how you saw it? We hit the woodwork three times. Sterling's shot caused the save of the season. They've had a dodgy goal. I mean, when I say dodgy, offside and handball. So if you factor in all those things completely put it down to, well, a bad day at the office or a bad day by the referee. So the thing I will praise Wolves for is they came and had a go. They didn't just sort of sit back and, like a lot of teams did, I hope we just lose by one or two and don't get embarrassed. They actually put in a shift and, you know, fair play to them. And I can't see them getting relegated. Absolutely can't see them. There's going to be three worst teams in Wolves. And I think there's going to be quite a few shocks for teams that are going to Wolves expecting to turn them over. I thought we were very, very unlucky not to get the three points. Yeah, we were unlucky. As you say, hit the woodwork three times. Should have had a penalty when uh, David Silva was bundled over in the box by Ruben Neves. And of course, if that linesman could not see Willy Bowley's handball, he should at least have been able to have called it for offside, Walter, shouldn't he? That's, I mean, people go on about VAR and, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about VAR. Ultimately, I think as football fans, what we want to see is the right decisions. That's it. We want the right decisions going, not just for us, but we, we want we want fairness is what we want. And I can't think of too many sort of, uh, over the last few years, I can't think of too many penalties. If we've, we've One of our defenders has taken guy, a guy down in the box and it's not given can't think of too many of them that have gone our way, as it were. Is it the agenda? Who knows? Walter, do you think with the Bowley goal at VAR, had it been in operation, would have helped us out much? Because, as I understand it, for that to work, the referee or the uh, officials have to see clearly a clear and obvious error. Of course, if the officials don't refer it to the VAR guys who are sitting up in, in the room watching it on the screens then it doesn't get reviewed. So do you think VAR would have worked in that case? Imagine how VAR was used in the World Cup. Do you think that that goal would have been referred to the VAR guys for reconsideration? VAR guys would just literally be watching that and then just sort of clock the referee and say, look, you need to call up the VAR sign. I don't think it's just going to be completely down to the ref. There's got to be someone up there who's just going to review, just one word, review. Do you know what I mean? Into his earpiece, and then he can he can then say, well, okay. And then he can go and have a look and give it his best judgment from there. So I can't see why it wouldn't have got reviewed, if you know what I mean. Okay, well, Walter, Wolves came to us on the back of a 2-2 home draw and then a 2-0 away defeat at Everton. So there were always signs there that they were strong at home. We remember playing them in the Carabao Cup last season. Now, you have stressed the luck factor and the luck wasn't with us and the fact that we hit the woodwork, but just reading some of the reports on the City Watch website, they saw it rather differently. They saw it as another team who have tried to learn from 
Liverpool's victories against us, taking advantage of the fact that Kevin De Bruyne wasn't playing. They crowded out the midfield. Now, very rarely, in my view, did Walker get up that wing the way he normally does, and Mendy managed to do so only half a half a dozen times, I think. Did you not see a game plan from Wolves, the tactical approach of Espirito Santo? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy set his team up well. On top of that, it's that juxtaposition, isn't it? You're looking at, yeah, they were set up well, but we could have easily have got another four goals. So, you know, if, if one of them had gone in or two of them had gone in, people wouldn't be talking about the way that they'd set up. I mean, Pep's got to be gutted that, you know, his strikers just didn't finish. I mean, when it rattled the crossbar at the end, for me, what you're looking at here is he's rattled the crossbar at the end. If that had gone in, we'd have been look, talking about a Bournemouth or a Southampton situation or a Huddersfield situation when we, when we played them last year and got those late goals at the end. That's how thin the line is between the crossbar just going in. For me, I'd be looking at getting Sergio to take a few more free kicks because he absolutely rocketed that. Goalkeeper didn't stand a chance. Again, you can look at it two ways, but I watched the game and with my eyes, I just thought that Manchester City were by far the better team. And if someone was going to go on and score, you know, if that game went on another 10, 15 minutes, we were going to be the winners. But that's just the way football is, you know. You can buy the best players in, but it doesn't mean you're going to win every single game. And if he's talking about copying Liverpool's system, good luck for him to, to, to try and do it. But I think when we play them at home, we'll give them a good spanking. Yeah, I agree with you, Walter. City were by far the better team, despite what a lot of young Twitter followers were saying. But isn't it interesting, Walter, I wanted to pick your brains about this, because isn't it interesting the way that narratives change? You're watching your team Everyone's getting stuck into us. We're being criticised and panned. Individual fans are vilifying individual players. When your team goes one up or finishes out the game with a win, everything that, that was bad, everything that was negative, suddenly gets airbrushed out of it, even by the media professionals. And, uh, I mean, just thinking of those two last Liverpool wins where they really were very, very hard-pressed to get the results. But because they got the results, because they got the wins, all of the struggles, all of the mistakes, all of the misplaced passes and sloppy play was just airbrushed out of the narrative. So it's really important that you win the game, isn't it? Because it, well, when, when you do that, everything else is demagnified and forgotten about. Twitter's just full of nonsense and you, you need to, once you wrap your head around that and you follow people that you feel are credible, Twitter could be as good or as bad as you want to make it, if you know what I mean. Mm. I mean, some of the stuff I've had posted to me and I'm like, I have no issues whatsoever pressing the ignore button on people just so I never have to listen to their opinion again. Unfortunately, when I'm watching it and Gary Neville's talking, that makes it a little bit more difficult in the media, you very you very rarely get this sort of centre ground of grey. You've either got you've got black and white, and it's what sells newspapers. And if City drop two points away, well, to be honest with you, that's news because our our record on the road is second to none. I'd say suggest it's second to none in Europe. So us dropping two points is quite a big deal to certain journalists. And let's get this right: certain journalists. I mean, you look at your Duncan Castles, he'd have been absolutely thrilled to bits at City. 
not managing just to sneak a goal in right at the end. Aguero, when as soon as he hit the crossbar at the end, you can imagine Duncan Castles, even though it was early on in the day, would have been opening up his finest Scotch whiskey and uh, slugging, taking a few slugs out of that and uh, getting straight onto Twitter to get stuck in. You know, the whole media sort of thing is just designed absolutely to sell. That's all it does. And they do create narratives. So they will create good guys, bad guys, pantomime villains. And because most of these journalists grew up and the world changes, and now City, just through the whole cycle, have come up at the top, they're not happy with the change. So they're going to get stuck into us for absolutely any reason, whether that's the money that we spend, whether that's anything to do with results or the documentary that we've made. Nothing that City ever do will be good enough for them. So let them <laughs> let them sort of stew in their own City bile and we'll just carry on picking up trophies. I mean, that's, that's all I'm interested in and it must absolutely hurt them. Yeah, it's absolutely true. If you're in your mid to late 50s, you grew up in a world where Liverpool and Manchester United dominated everything in sight and so uh, they, they do create and control the narratives. I look at Twitter sometimes just for the odd funny remark, the comedians, and there are some quite funny guys on Twitter, and one of them came out with something that made me laugh. He said that Manchester City spent $60 million in the summer, Wolves spent $63 million, so City should be underdogs, and Wolves should be the favourites to win this game. That made me laugh, but let's go through a few of the moments in the game. It was a an unremarkable game in many ways, but there were some interesting moments. Let me talk about that strike by Aguero that bent round the defender and just hit the post and went out. And that, for all the world, to me, looked like such a sweet strike. Were you disappointed not to see that hitting the microphone in the in the middle of the back of the net? Aguero's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, he's looking razor sharp for a start. But Aguero is a player that, above most other players, he doesn't just strike it at the goal. He's looking for a particular place in the goal, and it's always in one of the corners. And unfortunately, if you're aiming for a corner all the time, you can hit these posts. You know, you're only slightly out. For me, you mean, there's been this discussion, is he the best ever foreigner to ever play in the Premier League? According to Alan According Shearer. To Alan and let's get this right, there was a man who knew what the back of a net looked like. Oh my God, so yeah. once you start comparing him to Thierry Henry and his pomp, whether Thierry Henry is slightly better, the statistics are uh, very, very close. I'm not bothered if he's the best or not. But what I am saying to you is, if he's been held in that regard now, how good is he? Absolutely. And Walter, uh, something you mentioned earlier was something that I think had all of us out of our, our seats and uh, really needing to see a replay. That shot by Raheem Sterling, I don't think I've ever seen a better save by a goalkeeper in a long time. How did he do that? I mean, he had virtually no backlift and no time to do it. How did he manage to strike it with such ferocity? What you're talking about here is uh, a goalkeeper who's pulled off an amazing save. And Raheem Sterling, when he hit that, he must have just, I'd have been running off celebrating. <laughs> you know what I mean? He just, that, you can see where it's going. You're thinking, right, that's there. And for him to sort of make up that ground and just sort of bend it round the post or bend it onto the post, you know, it, it, what that is, is sort of elite sports in the thin line as well. You've got somebody who's done something fantastic 
and the goalkeepers just produced something even more amazing. I'm not saying it would have been the goal of the season, but it certainly was the save of the season so far. Yeah, you can almost understand <clears throat> the championship rivals for complaining about Wolves being able to uh, hire all these top-class Portuguese stars like him. Wolves had a goal disallowed for offside by Raul Jimenez, so... It seems that the linesman can actually spot an offside when it comes to it. Were you concerned about the number of times that Wolves were in on goal? Did you think that was a goal? Or were you absolutely sure from the beginning that it was offside? Miles offside. Didn't even think it was a close one. You know, it's one of them where the linesman spotted it. Everybody in the ground sort of spotted it, apart from some of the Wolves fans. And it was clear offside. To me, that was bad play. As far as that substitute when he came on, good. God, he was an absolute beast. He looked like a boxer or a WWF. He certainly didn't look like a footballer. He had all the attributes in terms of pace, in terms of the sort of skill to beat Mendy. And he put in a couple of good balls throughout the game. And I just thought he looked a player. Do you know what I mean? Why he didn't start, I'm not overly sure. I was slightly concerned, going back to what you said before as well, was the amount of times we were getting done on the counter. It reminded me a little bit of Pep's first season, where quite a few teams, we'd hammer them. And then I remember playing Everton at home and we hammered them. And they just straight up, right near the end, and just got a goal. And that was on the counter attack. And I thought, I was hoping that sort of Pep had come up with a system and it was working where this wasn't happening so much. But it seemed to happen, however, that's just the early start, a bit of sort of rustiness on the players' behalf. I'm not overly sure, but you can guarantee one thing. Pep will be studying them videos from the moment he left Molyneux, probably till now, going over what went wrong, and he'll be putting it right on the training ground. All I can say is God help Newcastle. Yeah, Wolves were very enterprising when they got an opportunity. I mean, they didn't get that many, but... You know I love my movie references, and in the famous movie Tombstone, Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday looks at Johnny Ringo and he says, you remind me of me. And I think Benjamin Mendy must have felt like that when he saw Adama Traore, you remind me of me. They were both very physically well-matched. People say Traore came off the better. I think it was a little bit 50-50 because Mendy did in the second half did get in a few times and deliver some sumptuous crosses from the left. Let's go to the goal, uh, Walter. So on 57 minutes, City did have a warning a few minutes before because they got in there and tested Ederson. Ederson was as solid as a rock throughout the game. I think he didn't do anything wrong at all. He made that great save. Some people say it was headed for the side netting, but a few minutes later, that's on the 57th minute from the resulting set piece, Jao Moutinho launched a free kick and it just evaded all of the jumping players in the box and it looked to have been a header from Willy Bowley. But of course, you saw very clearly on the replay, it was not only offside, that was the first thing I noticed, but handball as well. Lucky sods, eh? Well, he might have been offside when I first watched it. I didn't spot the arm because he's got a touch on it. So I just thought to myself, I was hoping, you know, when you're sort of looking at something and when it's given, because you knew it was given straight away and you can see the referee signal it's a goal. I'm thinking, well, you sort of go with the decision, if you know what I mean. But as soon as I saw the replays, I'm like thinking, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> this is... The other thing that annoyed me was you could see the linesman has a perfect view of what's going on. And do you know the, that website, you only had one job? 
It's almost like that. You know, that's his job to be able to spot obvious offsides. You're relying again. It's, it's what I was going back before and said about fairness. Every single sort of footy fan in the world, when it's their team playing, they want fairness. You know, if it was against United, we'd all have a bit of a giggle about it. But ultimately, you'd rather all the decisions, even the, the bad ones against United, given as a, the referee gets them all right. I was just sort of slightly gutted that it was given thinking there's still 33 minutes of this game left. We should be able to turn this around. So often, Walter, when City go a goal down, that's the start of it. I don't know why this is, but that's the start of it. They take it as a personal insult and they go flying at the opposition and City created several chances before the 69th minute when, of course... Someone who gets a lot of criticism, Ilkay Gundogan, just chipped in the perfect free kick. People talk about Harry Maguire and his slabhead abilities, but in comes Laporte, and he absolutely banged that goal in. It was wonderful to see. He personally was my man of the match. People can argue with that, but what did you think of that goal? It's never going to appear on a goal of the season, is it? No. But you don't mind. You're 1-0 down. You know, you could... And I don't know about you, but you're sort of half watching the game and you've got one eye on the game and you've got one eye on the clock, watching the time just tick down, tick down, tick down. And when he got that, I just thought, nice one, here we go. There's a chance to get another now. I, th- I tell you, I, I absolutely rate Laporte as well. I just think he's a fantastic player. And what I love is he's going under the radar completely. Mm. There's nobody talking, you know, there was talk about Virgil van Dijk being the best sort of centre-half in the Premier League. And people say, well, you know, Vincent Company in his prime. And people, you know, mentioning the Tottenham centre-halves and other centre-halves. But Laporte's name never, ever crops up. And he's just quietly going about his business. I remember when we signed him, someone asked Sid Lowe, is he quick? And he went, I don't know. I'm like, well, what do you mean you don't know? And I can see exactly what what because his positioning is so good, he very rarely gets caught out and needs to use his pace, if you know what I mean. Mm. This is a guy we've signed. What a signing, really. I think he's just going to be our main centre-half now for years to come. Along with Stones, Stones has got all the attributes of Laporte, but he's he's prone to the odd sort of ricket as well. Mm. Well, Laporte doesn't seem to... He's a cool customer. And what's more... Another person I want to big up, Walter, is Gundogan. Now, I've got a theory about Gundogan, and I think I've worked out why Pep loves him so much. They talk about Jorginho at Chelsea being the metronome, but Gundogan is just so unspectacular. But what he does is absolutely critical. The stats after the game bore this out. It seems to be that when he misplaces a pass, it gets all the attention but 95% of his passes reach their target perfectly. He's so industrious. He's so clever. He reads the game beautifully well. And there's a reason why Pep keeps picking this guy. And I just, I can't work it out. Maybe you have a theory. I can't work it out why he cops so much flack off City fans, particularly younger City fans or people who have what you would call an untrained eye. What do you think about that? I mean, I like Gundogan. Uh, I, I like him because I think he'd walk into any other Premiership midfield, but he's almost, he's our handyman, as it were. You know, if Kevin De Bruyne's out or Silva's out or Fernandinho's out, this is the man that we call on. And he just seems to be one of those players that's just zero fuss as well, which I absolutely love. 
You know, if he's not playing, you don't hear him kicking off in the media. You know, there was, Inter Milan wanted him over the summer, and I can see exactly why. You know, this is a guy who's, at the end of the day, if you're sat there watching for mistakes off a player, you're going to find them. Even Silva makes mistakes. But if you're sat there sort of looking at the bigger picture of what he brings to the team, Gundogan is just a fantastic sort of, he's a fantastic man off the bench, if you know what I mean. He's a fantastic squad player. And if you look at any of the teams that have ever won anything ever, they're not all just full of big-time Charlies and they're not all full of uh, your silky smooth players either. You know, you need various sort of makeup and of different styles and different types of players and gel that into a team. But Gundogan, for me, is, is just a no-nonsense sound squad player. And when you bring him into the team... The drop-off isn't massive, you know what I mean? Because he does do a job. Walter, let me ask uh, two quick questions. I fear I might receive two very curt answers, but nonetheless, these were questions that were being asked. Do you think it was poor marking for the goal that we conceded? No, no, it was a great ball in as well. So, no, you can't mark players that are offside, if you know what I mean. Next Question, Walter, possibly a little bit more substance in this, some would say. Can Benjamin Mendy defend? We all know he's a fantastic attacker, but does he work as a traditional fullback when he needs to be? What you're talking about here is a system that Pep's brought in. And the amount of defending that he has to do is minimal compared to any left back that we play. And you look at, I mean, we used to talk about the famous Barcelona teams. And was their defence any good? And you're thinking, well, you don't ever find out overly. And I think that's what's happening with Mendy at the moment. The other thing with Mendy is he's been injured for a long time. And I know um, Marty Perrinel was talking about the idea of it taking 20 games to get up to speed within a pep system and be firing on all cylinders. This is a guy who's played less football than probably me over the last year. Do you know what I mean? He's uh, been injured. So I'm not going to make any statements or any rash decisions on Mendy until Christmas. You know, I want to see him given that long, sort of long sort of uh, time in the team to see what he can bring. And we've all seen what he can bring going forward. And 95% of the games that we're going to be playing, that's absolutely fine. And he came up against what could only be described as a mixture between Greyhound and Mike Tyson on a Saturday morning. And I think a lot of people would struggle. A lot of traditional left-backs would have struggled with that kind of pace and that kind of power. And Mendy has got pace and power, but he just came up against someone who I think might have slightly more, which he's not going to do very often. Next question, Walter. Should Gabby J have done better with that header that he planted right at the goalkeeper's ankles? If it had gone through his legs, everyone would have said no. So... It was just, that for me was another fantastic save. Should he have done better? If he'd have hit it either side, it might have gone in. I'm not overly sure. I thought he made good contacts on it. I thought it was a great save. So I'd love to have seen it hit the back of the net. Should he have done better? I'll leave that up to the listeners to decide. As you mentioned earlier, of course, right at the death, Aguero smacked the crossbar with a free kick on the stroke full time. Some wags on Twitter were saying that it was very hard to pick out a man of the match in that game. What people had done was they'd posted up a picture of the Wolves goal frame, the both posts and the crossbar, 
and gave man of the match to that. Was there a man in the match? Um, I thought from, a lot of people had fairly, fairly C- decent performances. Yeah. From, from City's point of view, I mean. Yeah, I thought a lot. I mean, I thought Edison was really good. I thought Laporte was really good. Um, I thought Silva was his normal, brilliant self. I thought Aguero had a good game and was unfortunate. Uh, tell you, who didn't play well, and I don't like to dig people out. Leroy Sane. Oh, now Walter, stunk. talk to me about Leroy Sane. Well, he just seems to be giving the ball away every time the ball came to him. Now I don't know whether he's just not up to speed or whether it's Saturday mornings. Or he had a slow start last year, if you remember rightly as well, and went on to be the young player of the year. So. Maybe that's just his way. We don't. We haven't got a big sample size to be looking at yet. So I'm hoping that's just his way because if he's like that in training, there's no wonder that Pep's not picking him up. I mean, he, what made me laugh is he must have given the ball away five or six times and then it came to him the seventh time and he beat about four or five different players. Oh, you can see it's all there. But it's just a matter of Leroy needs, in some respects, I think, to grow up a little bit. Do you know, he's, uh, he's a guy who's, I think when you do hammer him, his head goes down, and whether he needs that arm around the shoulder from Pep, I'm not overly sure, but uh, we'll call it a bad day at the office, but boy, did he stink it up for most of the time he was on the pitch. Very, very difficult to say very much about Mares. He didn't have very much time, but let's have your comments on the comments of Guardiola. Speaking to BBC Sport after the game, he said, it was a very good point. We created chances, but their keeper made saves, so today we draw... We knew how good they were this season. No complaints. We created a lot. That's why it's good. In the first half, Aguero hit the post. Sometimes it goes in, sometimes not. We were not solid defensively today. That is why we conceded a few chances to them. But in general, the game, considering the quality of the opponent was good, we have to give them credit. What did you think of those comments? I've not heard those comments, but that's pretty much what I've been saying. What's interesting with Pep, though, is... He will defend his players to the death out there, but he would tell them the home truths in the dressing room. And it was the one thing that was worrying me was the amount of times that Wolves actually got at our back line. Thought so that was more of a concern because I can't remember a team since probably we last played Liverpool that got us that much at the back line, if you know what I mean. So, again, you can imagine Pep going over the videos and then pulling up the reasons why they were able to get near our back line. But I agree with him 100%. I think Wolves did look really good. But on top of that, we could have... If, if that had finished 4-1, nobody, nobody would have been complaining. And it could have easily done that. Three times you hit the woodwork, you know? That's just, as I said, one of those days at the office. And... As I said earlier on in the podcast, God help Newcastle. Well, we got a nice comment on Bolt from the Blue Twitter because of some of the stats that we produce, or maybe not statistics, but facts, or as I like to call them, factoids. There were a few interesting ones here, Walter. Wolves became only the third team since the beginning of last season to reach double figures in attempts on goal against Manchester City. City had 71% possession, and certainly there's bound to be days like this for our rivals, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Tottenham too. I mentioned before that Liverpool have a 12.30 next week against Leicester. Are you confident that our title rivals will also have days like this they will I mean uh, <laughs> I've been reading some of the media and this um, it's going on Twitter going down the Twitter hole as it were and seeing some of the comments from Liverpool fans 
about their title challenge, you know, what it's going to mean now. And are they just shooting the gun early? Some of them are just so deluded. I was reading the uh, BBC website, you know, the the City game, mm-hmm. and it was full, full of Liverpool fans making comments are, about how we lack class. Are you talking um, about the, the minute by minute? No, 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 no. This is the aftermatch report. Right. And I'm thinking they're just so deluded. Uh, this whole idea of class, you know, wrecking our bus, showing class. The Luis Suarez T-shirts, class. It's unbelievable the mindset that some fans will just put themselves into. You know, they were putting on that they were destined, you know, to bring the, the the Premier League trophy back home. I'm thinking, mate, it's never even been to Anfield. You know, it's um, just delusion upon delusion. You know, I, I remember it was, uh, Will Ferrell saying, you talk about movie references, you know, and it's just a lies basing on a mountain of lies. And uh, they just buy into it. They lap this stuff up. And as far as Alison Rudd on Sunday Supplement goes, oh my gosh. Y- y- people need to give their heads an absolute wobble because these people are getting paid, paid good money to write this shite as far as I can see. And um, I just think that you talk about people having bad days. You no, know, Liverpool have got a lot of hard games coming up, and the high intensity which which they play, you know, they, they do struggle to maintain that week in week out. You know, they'll come along and they'll beat City one week and then get hammered the next two because the, the, you know they've used up all this sort of emotional and physical energy just to try and get one over on us, little old City. So, you know, let the let the, the other teams crow because you win nothing, and I mean nothing in August. And this is City now that are, they were 25 points. Let's just get that right, 25 points behind City at the end of the season. So I'll let them have their fun at the moment, but you'd think they'd learn after getting the T-shirts printed in, you know, 13, 14, and going along with the... You've seen them going along to the Champions League final with six times on the back. Yeah. Oh, you just think, after all these little sort of warnings and all these little things, you think, yeah, maybe we shouldn't crow too early. I don't know what it is in the, the, the feeding them, what they put in the water in Liverpool sometimes. Don't get me wrong, I love Liverpool as a city, but honestly, the, some of their fans just need to give the Reds a massive big wobble. Yeah, there's a lovely uh, uh, image that people post on Twitter or Man City's uh, fans post on Twitter. It's a medicine bottle and uh, the title of the medicine is Deludamol and uh, this is what you have to take uh, one time per day when you think it's your year. It's a funny one but um, yeah, I th- I've got, as, a, as an English teacher I've got what we call an idioms dictionary and uh, it lists all the British idioms and one of them of course is counting your chickens before they're hatched. And I'm pretty sure if I open that up and check out that idiom, there'll be a picture of Liverpool fans in there with that one. But you didn't. You mentioned Alison Rudd. Younger City fans who are uh, reading about City on the internet need to know about these people. Um, there's uh, Alison Rudd, uh, Duncan Castles, of course, Neil Custis, Stan Collymore. Have I got all of them? Is it just oh, those? you could go on all day. I mean, the thing is, when I remember when Raheem Sterling signed for City, the Scouse Mafia came out in full throttle. Oh, I mean, yeah. all you need to do is watch Sky Sports and or BT Sports, and there you've got Michael Owen. There you've got Jamie Carragher. 
you know, um, Danny Murphy, you know, Danny Murphy, but they're all there, you know, Graham Mark Lawrence, Mark Lawrence, oh my god, you know what I mean? It's 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 literally. I don't know whether they meet up in a secret destination or whether they've got a WhatsApp group to discuss the agenda that they're going to shove. But honestly, they just all sing from this same hymn sheet of nonsense. Is it because and, uh, then that they're so desperate, Walter, for a title rival? In the desperate, not for a title rival. I think they're just desperate to, to actually win the thing. Mm. And, you know, then the DVDs will start coming out and then they'll have plays and poets and shows all about this. So just unbelievable, because I think as City fans, I remember the year we won it, uh, we went up against Liverpool. The first time I heard the chant of we're going to win the league, it was when we were up against West Ham and there was a few minutes left in the game. Because no City fan in the right mind would... Because all you're doing is setting yourself up to look like an arse. Mm. And they don't seem to have a problem with that whatsoever. You know, they've got the T-shirts, they've got the the chants. I mean, they're all, there was a chant I saw going round about um, Guardiola's not happy that he's not top of the league, and they are, you know, and the Red Army's back or something. I'm thinking, good God, you know, give just have a day off, just one day off of delusion. And uh, <laughs> just give yourselves a break because it can't be good for the old ticker. It's strange, isn't it? Because life teaches these uh, lessons to you, you would think, by the time you're about 18. I mean, if you sort of boast about an impending victory um, and you keep doing it again and again and again, surely to goodness you're going to have so much egg on your face by a certain time, it will convince you not to do it again. But they are persistent. You've got to hand it to them. But moving on from that, because I know you don't like to talk uh, about Liverpool too much. (laughs) You know, sometimes you do. But anyway, let's just give a few more factoids to our factoid-loving fans, just to put some of this in perspective. Wolves became only the third team. So City have only lost one of their last 30 Premier League games against newly promoted teams. And another interesting one I found was that City conceded the opening goal in a league game for the first time in 18 games. And that was the game that they lost on the 14th of January to Liverpool. A few other unrelated ones here, but I think they're worth mentioning. Vincent Company became the first Belgian to make 250 Premier League appearances. Willy Boley and Emmerich Laporte became the 117th and 118th French players to score in the Premier League. And the last one I'm just going to mention because this is getting silly. Laporte's goal was the 1,500 scored by a French player in the Premier League. So for the guys who've been asking for little interesting tidbits, uh, there you have it. We're nearly finished now, Walter, but uh, a few other things we should mention. One is that the saga with Jason Denayer is now over. He has been signed by Lyon for 10 million euros, and that's all over. We all thought he was going to Galatasaray. I would have put my house on that one, but he went to Lyon for 10 million euros. That saga is over. Pleased for the guy? Thing is, it's a good move all around in terms of City gets some money in, he gets to develop his career because there's not a chance he was playing for City. So 
It's good news all round. The next thing, Walter, of course, is that our much maligned goalkeeper, Claudio Bravo, ruptured his Achilles heel. He's out possibly for the season, possibly not as long as that. But City were in a quandary. There was talk about us going for free agents like Diego Cavalieri. But eventually, City brought back Auro Muric from NAC Breeder. Was that the right decision? The only decision that could be made, you'd have to get and talk to somebody like a steam company who's watched a lot of youth games for City to see what level of class he is. And I know he put Murich above Grimshaw uh, in terms of where they are in this at this stage in their career. So, yeah, you know, I hope he plays the League Cup games. I hope he gets a little bit of time on the pitch. Obviously not too much because uh, my man Edison, I want him in as much as possible. But you need to sort of give these youngsters that opportunity just in case anything does happen to Edison so they don't go in cold. Yeah, Murich is a beast. He's about six foot five in height. Apparently he is loved by Pep. He's a star for the future. And Another positive piece of news we got, Walter, because we know we like to keep the glass half full here on the Bolt from the Blue podcast, is that there was a report on City Watch that David Silva is willing to extend his contract after he was due to leave in 2020. And Silva has says that he's not ruling it out. It depends how he feels. How many more years could we get out of uh, David Silva, do you think? I mean, he's not bulky. He's light. And Pep talks about players that are very light and very fit, that they can last for a long time. You reckon we could get Silva beyond 2020? I'd have Silva here till 2030. I love the guy. His game it isn't built on pace. As I was saying, if you had to draw up a, a chart and a picture of your ideal midfield player, he ticks none of the boxes. He's very small, he's very slight, he's very one-footed. So, you know, he's not this big, powerful engine that we were used to seeing in the Premier League. You know, your Gerrard, your, your Roy Keynes. He's a completely different beast. So, with his game not being built on physicality, I can see him going and going and going for quite some time yet. Because it was interesting, I was listening to Julian Lescott, and he was saying that uh, Silver turned in training, and Lescott got injured trying to keep up with him. So I was just sort of thinking, this isn't a player that's overly tackled a lot either because he seems to get rid of the ball. And he never, for me, he's, honestly, he's like, do you remember the Terminators? And he used to weigh up the options and you could see it on his screen yeah, and his yeah. eyes. <laughs> that, honestly, that is David Silver all over. As soon as the ball comes, it's just, you know, just running through all the options. 99 times out of 100 chooses the right option to do as well. We're talking about an incredibly, incredibly special player who I think will only be appreciated fully by the English media once he's gone. Yeah, Walter, we mentioned that the saga with uh, Jason Denayer is over. There's still one saga that isn't quite over, but there has been a development on uh, Zinchenko. Apparently, Real Betis have put their money on the table and they're waiting for an answer. Of course, we know that Wolves were a team that were turned down by Zinchenko, along with a number of other sort of lower light Premier League teams. Would that be a good move for Zinchenko? Should he take it? I mean, I doubt that he will because he looks so happy when we see him in the documentary. But do you think Real Betis would be a good team for Zinchenko? He might be happy, but if he's finally not getting any game time at all, he might find that he wants to move on. Um, Me personally, if I was him, he's a player that needs to get out of his comfort zone and he's comfortable at City. You know, he's not going to get much game time there. He needs to move on. I'm sure if we uh, sell him and get 16 million for him, 9 million for Deneo, we might actually win the net spend trophy this year. Just beating, we mustn't have laid out too much. So I'm hoping we're saving it all up for Mbappe next summer. But uh, that's me in dreamland again. So Zinchenko, I think he needs to move on. It's just for his for his own good. 
bring some coffers into City and go and have a wonderful career somewhere else because he's never let us down. Okay. Now, just as we're finishing off, I'm going to show you, of course, listeners, you can't see what I'm showing uh, to Walter, but I'm going to put it up and see if he can make it out, something that I received this week. Can you see that? It's probably going to be all back to front, but do you know what that is, Walter? It's uh, David White's book. Shades of Blue, and I've got to give a plug for this and a shout out to Ray and Andy from Man City Fan TV. Now, these guys have come on the scene relatively recently, but already they've got 3,000, more than 3,000 YouTube subscribers. Guys who are listening, these guys are a little bit different from other content providers because they provide something almost every day. These two guys are incredibly hardworking. And what they're doing at the moment is they've had a five-part interview with David White. And they're also advertising the fact that for 20 quid, you can have David White's book, Shades of Blue, signed with a personal message with free delivery in the UK. And if you want to find out a little bit more about that, you can go to Andy's Twitter account, and that's at Aviation Blue, or better yet, you can subscribe to Man City Fan TV on YouTube. You remember David White, of course, uh, Walter. When you think about Raheem Sterling and you think about the speed of Leroy Sané and our various fast players in our history, where does David White rate in that pantheon of players? He had speed to burn, didn't he? You know, he oh, was yeah. a talented player as well. Then I for goal. Um, it'd be interesting to see whether he would be a Raheem Sterling or whether he'd be, you know, a Patrick Roberts, you know, and just sort of fall short of the grade because the standard that we're now looking at is far, far, far higher than when certainly when David was playing. But I'd love to see him given a crack, getting a time machine because some of the injuries he picked up maybe wouldn't have happened. You know, they might have been got there beforehand, if you know what I mean, in terms of um, not overplaying him and not relying on him too much. So, yeah, it's a good book, by the way. I read the book and it was very interesting. Uh, quite difficult reading it sometimes. And more credit to the man and have more respect for the man, not just the player as well. Yeah, well, full credit to Ray and Andy for basically bringing that back into the public focus and helping David to make this book available. Walter, you mentioned the time machine my goodness if I could get a time machine and put some players in it I'd definitely have David White back there I'd have Paul Lake back in there Samir Nasri as well but let's not get into that because I know he divides <laughs> he divides opinion but I think we better wrap it up there so Blues be sure please to tune in again next week any questions or comments we're very grateful to receive next week things will be much better I promise I'm counting on a big city win Walter is on Twitter at Man City Smith. Isn't that right, Walter? Me. And I'm there as well with you, as always, at Bolt from the Blues. So until then, drink it in, have one on us, and up the blues.